All right, everybody, welcome back to We Dig Tennessee. Uh, we've got a couple of guests with us today. Uh, we've got Mr. Craig Ingram from Tennessee 811 with us again. How are you, Craig? Doing good, Matt. Hey, everybody. And Craig's uh, got us, uh, you know, did a little leg work and got us a great guest for today. Um, so, Craig, we really appreciate you doing that for us. Man, he's a resource. Can't wait to hear from him. I know. I'm excited about this one. Uh, but So with that, guys, I'll introduce our guest for today, Mr. Calvin Wyatt from, from Tosha. How are you, man? I'm doing great. Great. Thanks for having me. Oh, we really appreciate you taking the time out to join us. And and right on the heels of uh, Trent Safety Stand Down, which was a big week for us, we're, we're, we're glad to have you with us and, and talk a little Trent Safety. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Oh, all right. Well, before we, we jump into it, we had uh, several of our members, uh, you know, kind of send in some questions that they had for Tosha regarding trend safety and, and things. I mean, if you don't mind, would you kind of let us know kind of who you are, where you're from and kind of how you got to where you are doing what you do for Tosha? Absolutely. Yeah. Be glad to. So, um, yeah, Calvin Wyatt. Um, I'm currently the manager of training and education for Tennessee OSHA and I uh, was promoted into that position in January of 2018 and started with Tennessee OSHA in um, 2012 um, as a safety inspector, uh, working in the Knoxville uh, area office and um, covering the counties around the, the Knox County area. And um, then I became a safety compliance area supervisor in the, in the Knoxville office. Um, and um, prior to my time with Tennessee OSHA, I worked in the automotive industry, um, quality control, engineer um did some things uh with metal stampings and welding and things of that nature for suppliers of uh big oems and uh just took a career change and got into safety and health in, in 2012 and, and here i am today the big automotive world man that's crazy yeah yeah very vast-paced uh chaotic uh business <laughs> i can only imagine <laughs> yeah all right. Well, with that, man, as, as everybody knows, COVID-19 has been hanging over us here for a while and, and seems like we can't get rid of it. So how has uh, how's Tosha been handling COVID-19? How's it affected you guys? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think COVID-19 and, and this uh, virus is on everyone's mind right now. Um, and here at Tennessee OSHA, it's, it's changed the way that we've had to do some things. Um, Right now, we're um, receiving a lot of complaints uh, related to uh, COVID-19 in the workplace, and we're handling most of those complaints by what we call a complaint-by-letter process. In addition, we're also sending companies a workplace self-evaluation to assist them with the prevention of the COVID-19 exposure in the workplace. Um, As you know, COVID-19 is a a community-based, community-born illness. And uh, therefore, there is no OSHA specific uh, standard on this particular subject. So uh, OSHA has created um, and TOSHA has created a Web page that provides information for workers and employers about the evolving coronavirus pandemic. Uh, This information includes links like interim guidance, um, other resources for preventing exposure to and infection with the novel coronavirus. Has COVID-19 kind of change the way that your inspectors have to do job site visits or investigations? Absolutely. It, it has. Uh, I think like all businesses, um, Tosha just, uh, has to adjust the way we conduct day-to-day activities to reduce our risk to exposure to the COVID-19. Um, we've implemented many of the elements of the Tennessee pledge as possible. Things like uh, the social distancing, wearing face coverings and the uh, increased hygiene practices. 
Um, and during an, a, a TOSHA inspection, the inspector is going to ask questions uh, of the employer related to the COVID-19 protection measures that they um, and efforts that they put in place to protect uh, their workers um, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, to protect themselves um, while they're in um, the, you know, the company's facility, but then also to ensure that the, the employer has implemented some feasible practices to reduce the exposure within their facility. Okay. You know, that's interesting, especially with, you know, contractors in the field having a largely remote workforce that creates challenges that we've addressed on this podcast and in materials that we've distributed to our membership. But, you know, uh, with some companies, it's just as easy. And, and Tennessee 811 is included in this. It's as easy as just saying, you know, okay, we're sending as many people to work from home as possible. We're going to, you know, do temperature checks for the people that, you know, absolutely critically have to come into the office and, and handle it that way. But when you have people who are on job sites and fields, you know, um, trying to adapt to uh, a, a work environment where they previously would ride together in a, a truck and that kind of thing. It's just a, a whole nother level of adapting and responding to this crisis. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very, very good points there. And um, the guidance that we would, uh, you know, encourage you to to follow is the CDC guidelines and and implementing as many of those uh, practices and guidance as possible. Yeah, I know many many contractors in our chapter have done just that. They're 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 trying to you know if they have crews that ride to work together, they're they've limited how many people can be in the trucks and where they can sit so that they stay socially distanced, even traveling to work. Or they're asking people to get their temperatures taken before they come on the job site and so on and so forth. So I, I know I know several people are are doing their best to implement those CDC guidelines in, in everything that they do. Um, so. Also, I wanted, I was curious, did uh, when, when COVID-19 first hit and it was real, you know, it was a rush to get supplies and PPE and, and everything that the medical professionals needed, did the governor's request for people to turn over PPE affect any what you guys saw on the job sites or did some people maybe not have what they needed because they gave it to the medical professionals? Uh, very good question. And um, the, the, the short answer there is um, it, no, it, it didn't really um, affect the way that we're, um, you know, handling day-to-day um, -day activities. However, um, there are supply chain limitations and the voluntary use of respirators such as an N95 uh, is strongly discouraged so that those respirators can be utilized by the healthcare industry. Um, uh, TOSHA will exercise enforcement discretion concerning the annual fit testing requirements um, as, as long as employers have made a good faith efforts uh, to comply with requirements of the respiratory protection standard. However, the employers are still required to conduct initial fit testing and still have the, and still have the uh, responsibility to protect their workers from hazards in the workplace. Well, that's cool, and that all, that all sounds great. And, and I know hopefully we'll get rid of this this virus here soon because it's uh, definitely putting a damper on some things. But you know, like I said, we're we're really here to talk trench safety, and, and off on the heels of trench safety stand down and our our toolbox talk contest that we had that had great turnout, and you know we've had hundreds of workers turn in uh, their their sign in sheets for people that went through the trench safety stand down toolbox talk and everything last week, and so. We've got a few trench safety questions for you as well. 
before we jump into them, do you have any um, you know general updates on fur excavators that we should know about at this time? Um, actually, uh, no. There there have been no changes uh, to the applicable standards, uh, which is subpart P um, of the regulations, uh, 1926, 650, 651, and 652. Um, no no changes to those standards, um, and actually no no inspection process changes uh, as far as TOSHA um, doing uh, the on-site inspections. Um, you know, the excavation and, and trenching are among the most hazardous construction operations. Um, OSHA defines an excavation as a man-made cut, cavity, trench, or depression in the earth's surface formed by the earth remo- by earth removal. Uh, and then a trench is defined as a narrow uh, underground excavation that's deeper than it is wide and can be no wider than 15 feet. And OSHA has made uh, reducing trenching and excavating hazards uh, agency's priority goal. Uh, trench collapses or cave-ins pose the greatest risk to workers' lives. Uh, employers are required to ensure that the walls are sloped, short, and shield or shielded to prevent those cave-ins. And also, the employers must ensure that there's a safe way to enter and exit a trench, uh, keeping materials away from the edge of the trench, and uh, look for standing water or atmospheric hazards. And uh, employees or workers should never enter a trench unless it's been properly inspected. Absolutely. And and speaking of trench collapses, I, I was going to see if you could maybe share some more details on the trench collapse that happened in uh, Spencer, Tennessee, that, that killed a utility worker. Uh, it's been a couple of years ago now. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd be glad to um, provide us a, a short summary of that particular incident that happened there in Spencer, where uh, a 25 year old male employee of a Spencer that worked for Spencer Utility Department was fatally injured when he was crushed by a 10-foot deep trench that collapsed. Um, He and other employees responded to a request by the county highway department to repair a water line that had been damaged during some road repairs. Uh, The county workers started after after they hit the water line, they notified the city's utility department and asked the crew to come out and repair that leak. Um, Two utility department workers got on the site uh, the county workers left for a lunch break. They later returned to see how the process, how the repair was progressing. Um, and uh, the, the utility workers had shut off the water. They, uh, uh, they shut off the water supply to the damaged section of the piping, returned to the, returned to the trench, and then uh, tried to dam up the culvert to prevent any more water from entering that trench. They also noticed that they didn't have the right size pipe to make that repair to the line. Uh, So the victim in this case returned to the office to get a longer piece of pipe. While he was gone to the office, the other employee, um, the other city worker began using uh, the county's, uh, county highway department's track hoe to locate the leak. While he was doing this, he had made the trench, he made the trench a little wider than the highway department had previously dug. And then when the victim returned to the job site, he immediately went into the trench to begin making some repairs. Um, it was determined during the investigation that the victim was going to uh, was going to be the track hole operator's eyes while more dirt was dug out of the trench. The victim uh, had been in the trench for about 30 minutes working on that leak when the trench collapsed. Um, our interviews revealed that the employee was uh, on site indicated that the victim was standing with a shovel under the track hole while it dug 
and it's um, and he also stated when the operators scoop the bucket, the trench wall collapsed. Wow. Yeah. And guys, for anybody listening, this this is exactly why we focus so hard on trench safety in our industry. Uh, you know, from from what I hear, it sounds like the guy in the ditch was just he was being the spotter, directing the guy on the machine on what to do but in an unprotected area. So there, there is never any reason to be in a trench that's not protected. Absolutely. Got to slope it short or shield it in some way. The three, the three S's. Absolutely. All right. Well, I, I, that's terrible. I hate to hear that, but I'm, I'm thankful that you shared that information because, you know, that, that, that's a trench collapse that, you know, hit close to home and, and should make everybody in our industry, you know, take notice. You know, we, I get Google alerts on trench collapses that happen across the country. And I feel like on a daily basis, I get some sort of Google alert about either a collapse that happened or follow up on the investigation to one. And, and that one happening right here in our state, you know, not terribly far away. I hope, I hope everybody's eyes are open that these things are happening all over the place. And it's, we've got to do our due diligence to be on top of it and make sure it never happens again. It's a 100% preventable incident. 100% preventable. So guys stay on top of it. And and Matt, you know, you just highlighting that this happens in our state and, and this happens, you know, on a regular basis. It's not like, um, you know, it, it doesn't happen in Tennessee. We're doing such a good job in Tennessee. It doesn't happen here. And it's not like, you know, oh, we're doing so good that there hasn't been a significant issue in, you know, 10 years or anything crazy like that. This still happens, and, and it can happen any day in any trench on any job site. But if we just follow the guidance that's out there that's meant to protect, you know, our people that are working in the ground, we, we can prevent these situations. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, you absolutely don't. You, you don't want to think that it, it can't happen to you because um, it only takes a second for those walls to collapse. Absolutely. And it's like we said in our, in our, our podcast from last, from Trent safety stand down, it was, you know, it, the idea of it can't happen to me is just people being complacent. Complacency is a silent killer. Don't be complacent. Always be on top of your game. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll jump into some of these questions that our, our, our members submitted here. Um, all right. First is an employee permitted to work in a protected excavation when there is dewatering measures being used to control water accumulation? Yeah, absolutely. Good question. Um, there has to be adequate protection. Um, there has to be adequate precautions um, taken to protect employees against hazards posed by water accumulation. Precautions necessary to protect employees adequately vary with each situation. So every job site, every uh, project is a little different, but um, it could include some special support um, uh, shield systems to protect cave-ins, water removal to control the level of accumulating water, or a safety harness and lifeline. Uh, the competent person, uh, which you're going to hear talk about a lot uh, as we go forward, is uh, plays a very vital role in, in, in every trench and excavating um, uh, project. But the, the competent person in this case is going to determine the effectiveness of the water removal equipment and monitor to ensure that there's the proper operation. What would be, I guess, the definition, Tosha's definition of water accumulation? And is, is there like a, a certain number of inches, like six to 12 inches 
of water, you know, while pumps are being used to control the level that would, I guess, make it acceptable or unacceptable for a person to continue to stay in there? Uh, there is not a definition of water accumulation. Um, that competent person will evaluate those conditions that are present to determine if adequate precautions are taken, such as protective systems being used, whether the water is managed so that it's not creating a hazard of sidewall collapse or protective system failure. Uh, there is no set amount of water that would necessarily trigger it to become a hazard. Okay. Okay. So it's up to your competent person to determine whether it is or is not hazardous. There's no, there's no set, say six inches. It's just your competent person has to make the best decision. The competent person is going to be responsible to ensure that that water accumulation is controlled. Yes. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Um, when wa- when rock is m- removed uh, by means of a rock trencher, does Tosha consider that trench to be stable rock, assuming there is no you know dirt on top of that rock? Uh, again, the the competent person is going to be responsible for classifying the soil the soil soil to determine the the cave-in protection to be used. Um, they're going to do both a manual, or they should do both a manual and a visual test. Um, those are required to classify the soil. Um, OSHA's definition of stable rock is a natural solid material matter that can be excavated with vertical sides and remain intact while exposed. So it would most certainly depend on the, the trench conditions. However, with the use of a rock trencher, it is possible that the remaining rock could be considered stable rock. Okay. And now I've always kind of, uh, I guess, been told or learned that if you even if you cut it with a trencher and you know it it's smooth sheer sides that will stay there any cracks or fissures would kind of automatically take it out of stable rock those would definitely be indicators of uh you know potential collapse right so um, those are indicators that that the competent person needs to be looking for um, in making that determination of the type of protection to be used okay yeah, so that, so that any fissures or cracks in that rock are good indicators that you may need to readdress that, guys. So just keep your eye out for those. According to OSHA, a competent person uh, is a, me- a person who has means is capable of identifying existing and predictable hazards in the surrounding or work conditions, uh, which are unsanitary, hazardous, dangerous to employees, and who has authorized to take prompt corrective measures to eliminate them. Can an employee be classified by the company as a competent person based on the employee's knowledge and experience, or is a competent person training course required? So the employer is going to select, they're, they're the, the responsible party to select that competent person. Um, however, that person that's chosen to be the competent person has to meet all the elements of the definition and be knowledgeable of the OSHA excavation standard. The OSHA standard requires a competent person, and again, the employer's responsibility to ensure that that person meets those requirements. The OSHA standard does not specify, uh, specifically require a competent person training course. However, the employer may choose to send that person through a competent person training course to gain that that education uh, knowledge of the standard and of um, the hazards associated with trenching and excavating. And I think we can all agree that 
you know, learning on the job definitely has its perks. And there's some things that you don't really learn well in any other way. You have to do it hands on. But there's also things that employees teach each other that are, you know, shortcuts or, or are not the most proper and complete guidance for a, a given situation. So sending somebody through a competent person training class is probably a, a one of the most reliable, best ways uh, to make sure that they've covered all of those elements that make up a competent person and that nothing has been, you know, skipped over or, or abbreviated in just kind of learning on the job and, and learning from other employees. Very well said. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right there. You know, you can learn everything you need to know about how to dig a ditch and, and install your shoring systems and everything by working on the jobs and learning the hands on, but how to select the appropriate shoring system and how to properly classify your soil and the more technical aspects of the standard are going to come from that competent person's class. So it may not be required, but it is a great practice to, to always put people that are going to be competent persons through that competent person training class. Yes, absolutely. And when uh, we show up uh, to do an inspection on a trench excavating site, um, one of the first questions we're going to ask is who is the competent person? Because uh, they're going to be that main key role player there on that job site. Our next question is uh, when an excavation is in the in pavement in the middle of a street and the spoles have been hauled away during the excavation, so there are no spoles on site, is it still required that a trench box be 18 inches above the edge of the excavation? So the competent person, again, will make that determination. Um, they're going to be inspecting that trench, identifying any hazards there. So um, the requirement of the trench box being 18 inches above the vertical walls of an excavation um, is if the top of the trench box is below grade. So um, TOSHA would have to show a hazard in order to issue a citation. Um, but you want to make sure that the trench box is, um, if it's above, if it's below grade, um, that's where the 18 inches requirement would apply uh, so that you're not allowing any of the upper wall to, to flow back into the top of the trench box. Okay. And, and I think that answers kind of the, the next question as well. Is it still required that a trench box be 18 inches above the top of the excavation above the top of the excavation if the trench box is still able to be set so that the top of the box is even with the top of the excavation and the total depth of the excavation is supported and the spool piles are two feet or greater away from the edge. Yes, the, the requirement of the trench box being 18 inches above the vertical walls of excavation is if the top of the trench box is below grade. If the top of the trench box is, is ground level or at grade, then the 18 inches requirement does not apply. To my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, if it is, you know, at grade at the at the even with the top of the trench, there can't be not just spoils but anything within that two feet of that box. That's correct because uh, again, um, you know, Tosha would have to show the hazard there, and one of the hazards that might be present is if something is able to fall back in over top of the wall of the trench box. All right. Um, and our next question kind of goes along, along the lines of, of some more trench box uh, stuff. So is there a distance or 
a best practice or you know recommendation from you guys on working near the open end of a trench box? Uh, the OSHA standard does not specify a set distance from the end of the trench box that the employee must stay. Uh, the employee must be protected from hazards of cave-in while in a trench or excavation. If the employee is working right at the end of the box, uh, the competent person needs to evaluate the conditions of the soil near the ends to ensure that the employee is protected from a cave-in. Our next two questions, I think you'll probably answer the, the answer together. Uh, can backfill slope be used as a means of access or egress as long as the employee is protected from cave-in? And is there any uh, set standard or compliance that that backfill slope must be to be used as a means of egress? Sure. So, so yes, can the backfill slope be used as a means of access and egress? Um, it can be as long as it meets the definition of a ramp. Employees have to be able to freely walk out without using their hands or climbing. So we'd have to meet the definition of a ramp. And um, the competent person is going to make that determination. Um, however, in order to consider a ramp, the employees have to be able to walk out freely without using their hands or climbing. Um, the standard requires a safe means of egress from trench and, from trench excavations. Okay, and and now on that ramp, you know, especially if you were using uh, the back backfill side, you know, backfill may not always be compacted yet, or or it might be a little bit looser soil. How would that affect meeting the definition of a ramp? Well, you you got to look at the hazard, right? So um, one of the hazards that, that could be present there is that backfill material could flow into the box from the end uh, of the trench box. So that competent person's got to make sure that that, that is uh, constructed in such a way that there isn't a, a hazard of the, the backfill material from entering and, and filling into the trench box itself. I think another potential hazard that, you know, we need to hit on there is not everyone on your job site is going to have the same physical capability to, to traverse that ramp. So you're going to have to uh, make sure that your ramp essentially meets the, the highest standard of need based on who you've got working in there. If you've got, you know, a young 18-year-old guy who's kind of peak phys physical condition, he can probably easily traverse some surfaces that an old 31-year-old like me uh, couldn't handle. So it's got to be, you know, adapted based on the competent person's, you know, perception of it and, and assessment of it to meet the needs of the people who are working there. Correct. All right. And another question here about working near the ends of the trench boxes. Uh can you share with the group some ways you've seen for protecting employees working near the ends of the trench box? I'm sure. So the, the competent person, again, is going to make that determination for the best practice for protecting their employees near the open ends of the box. Uh, sloping is primarily the, primarily the, the widest used protection that I've seen at the end of a trench box. But also I've seen uh, approved end plates used, uh, boxes that are designed to provide protection at the ends, so it's an actual, um, turns it into a four-sided box, and then also um, engineered systems. Okay. And, I, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the key with using those boxes that have the the plates and things for the end is to make sure whatever the plates you're using and the box you're using, the tab data supports that. Because if it doesn't, that, that box could fail easily. 
Absolutely. Yeah, you you most definitely want to consult with that manufacturer to make sure that the um, components are compatible and uh, would work properly. Well, we've reached the the end of our, our list of questions that we had our that our members submitted. So you got any um, tips from Tosha for for excavators? So, you know, we can we can keep doing everything the way it needs to be done. Just always be on top of your game, right? Um, make sure that competent person's in place and slope it short or shield it. Hey, Calvin, uh, I get a lot of benefit from your newsletter, and I wanted to see if you wanted to plug that or tell people uh, how they can get connected and, and stay up to date with you guys. Absolutely, yeah. Good good point there. Uh, TNOSHA.gov. Um, if you go to TNOSHA.gov, that's our website. Um, there's a section um, under training and education, and uh, you can select that request uh, to receive our newsletter. It will send me your email address, and I will add that to our uh, list, uh, and we will share our newsletter with you, among other information that we uh, provide um, through that listserv um, database. So it will have other information, uh, but but also our newsletter. Great. Awesome. And those um, the links that you, you talked about at the beginning, are they located in the same location? Uh, they are, yes, absolutely. Uh, TNOSHA.gov, um, if you go to our website, you'll also find right there the um, COVID-19. They're right on our homepage, a uh, link to the COVID-19 information uh, under our news an announcement section. There's going to be uh, just our, our updated um website um, and links uh, for additional COVID-19 responses, frequently asked questions, um, and uh, all of that information, yeah, right there on our website. Awesome. Okay. And anybody listening, we'll, we'll add that link to our show notes. So if you're listening on your phone, you want to just go down to the show notes and click that link, it'll be right there for you. Um, all right. Well, again, Calvin, man, we really appreciate you joining us and taking time uh, out to answer some of our members' questions. Uh, I know, I know, Nuka nationally has a great relation, relationship with OSHA, and we here in our chapter would love to develop that same relationship with you guys at TOSHA. So, uh, again, thank you for joining us. Absolutely, yes. Thank you again for having me. I'm glad we can help, and and hopefully we can uh, help in any way possible um, going forward. We won't hesitate to reach out. I know that. All right. And Craig, thank you, man, for, for setting this up with Calvin and, and, and thank you for being here and adding to the conversation, man. Man, happy to be here. Thanks, Matt. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening today. Uh, I hope y'all got a lot of knowledge out of Calvin cause he did a great job. Um, y'all want to leave us a review, let us know how we're doing. If you got any more questions, uh, for Calvin, shoot them to us. We'll be happy to get him get some more answers from him in the future. Hopefully. Uh, and with that, you guys stay safe out there. Keep digging Tennessee.